Welcome to the Spiro Hangout, where we talk all things spearfishing, freediving, and foraging. We're three guys from Devon in the UK who are excited to share some of the learnings from our spearfishing journey with you over the coming episodes. We bring in some special guests along the way to help spread some in-depth spearing knowledge from some of the most experienced people in the scene. Hey guys, how are we doing? Hey, all right. Yeah, hello, good, hello, hello. Where are you guys been up to this week? Well, I've had an ear infection, so I uh, had to watch Anthony dive, which is a bit frustrating. Luckily, didn't catch too much. Yeah, but you learned lots. I did learn lots. I'll I tell you what, your duck dive <laughs> was really, really smart. I sent you a video, didn't I, as well? So that was quite nice for, for you to be able to watch. Yeah, I was, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed. <laughs> did, did he catch anything? Little yeah. Pollock? That and an SCI. <laughs> So you basically had to hold his hand to take him diving. Yeah, well, uh, I... <laughs> yeah, go on. You answer. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, t- I took a, a rod and line actually for the first time in about three years, and all it did is remind me why I haven't picked up a rod and line for three years. <laughs> it was so frustrating. You know, you, it's just completely different, isn't it? You're like a bystander when you're sat mm-hmm. on the on the rocks fishing with a rod and line. You're probably immersed in it if you're spearfishing, so it was generally frustrating. We'd planned to have a catch and cook as well, and of course, Anthony's 30-centimetre pollock didn't really cover that. Uh, so went to no, McDonald's we, in uh, the end. Couldn't catch much. Never mind. How about you, mate? How was your day? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I've picked up uh, some new gear this week, so looking forward to using that in the Nationals. I'll be using the top and guns and the um gladius c4 gladius yeah it looked amazing so, yeah mm-hmm. man really looking forward to trying that but Someone's yeah spending some money mm-hmm. other than that um not a lot not a lot else going on i did see that there was a shark attack recently yeah i don't, I don't know if it was shark attacks probably making it sound like more than it was right was it a little a bite to the leg or something did you guys see my my uh, my comment on Yahoo News on Facebook? Uh, no, because there was they were obviously uh, dramatizing the fact that someone got attacked by a shark in UK waters. So yeah. I, I kind of put my two cents in there. Really, it wasn't really a shark attack, was it? As such, but well, it was just I someone heard who... that the shark ate three hundred people. Did, did you not... speak to some? Did you speak to someone at Yahoo News? Well, he said he worked for Yahoo News, <laughs> but he was wearing a long trench coat and he was trying to sell me watches. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it, it was it was just one of those like tours of take out see the um the blue shocks and yeah something and very odd happened I'm sure. I presume and they're chumming up the water to bring in the sharks and the sharks yeah, yeah, just don't know what's chum and what's legs I guess. Well, that and she might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's just one yeah. of those you know freak accents basically. But um, one of the things that I watched the other day was um with that gorgeous bloke what's his name chris hemsworth um and they were doing a documentary about how he was getting into surfing at like the australian coast and he was saying that no it wasn't him he, he went and saw a shark expert and they said that actually because they were specifically on great whites i think it was on disney or something like that natural geographic or something and um they were saying how actually the sharks aren't trying to attack you they bite you then realize oh, no, this isn't what I want. So if you gave them enough time, they'd let go. But probably with a great white, they'd probably have your leg off. And, yeah, uh, I'm sure there's exactly some exceptions, right? Yeah. But no, I think it's, it's 
from the sounds of everything I've seen, I think it was just a, a wrong place, wrong time, wrong circumstances, and they yeah. weren't exactly you know helping themselves. But uh, I, I believe the person's okay, and they've said that it was a mistake. Yeah, and they put out a really nice statement actually, didn't they? Saying you know it's not the sharks' fault. We were there in their kind of territory, their world. Yeah, it happens. I, yeah. I, I did see a really uh, interesting video going around of a tuna in Plymouth Bay, though. Did you guys see that? Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was, um, was it? albacore. Is that right? It's an albacore. albacore tuna, yeah. Which are legal to catch, I believe. So I understand. That'd be a good know. catch. I would have no idea. Thing illegal to catch tuna-wise, you're not allowed to catch bluefin, yep. I believe. So somebody will correct me and, get, and, you know, there'll be some expert that will come along and say that I'm wrong. But, um, yeah, bluefin's the only thing you can't catch. Otherwise, you can catch everything else, I believe. Cool. So you guys ready for the ex-nationals on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, coming up. But my ears are fixed. I'm ready. You guys ready? Yeah, I can't wait to try the new gear. I don't know if it's a bad idea taking the new gear to the national, but I can't miss any more fish, can I? So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to so, go there, underestimating my ability to catch. And then, you know, what is it they say in sales? Under promise, over deliver. That doesn't sound oh, like your uh, style, Anthony, to be honest. Yeah, he's, he's bigging himself up again. Uh, <laughs> we'll, 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 see, we'll see what happens on Saturday. <laughs> I've got to bring some points for the team, haven't I? Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait. Really looking forward to it. So who have we got today, Richard? So, yeah, we've got the Oyster Lady, Katie Davidson. Um, cool. She's going to come on and talk to us about all things seafood, cooking, oysters, lobster. I mean, the, the depth that this woman goes to uh, is quite outstanding, actually. I was looking on her Instagram earlier, and, yeah, it's uh, quite interesting what she's involved in, so I'm looking forward to this one. Awesome. Let's get into it. Hi, Katie. How are you doing? You all right? Hi there, yeah. I'm great, thank you. How are you Hey, doing? Katie. Yeah, Hello, I'm everyone. Thanks, Hi, for coming on. Hi. Thanks for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So, um, as I just said in the intro, like you, you're involved in a lot of things. Um, first of all, how do you find the time to spearfish? Um, because, quite luckily, I'm self-employed. Um, <laughs> and I can kind of justify anything to do with the ocean as work-related. <laughs> Yeah, so Kate, if you can just give us a, a bit of an explanation about who you are and what, what it is you do, really, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a difficult one to answer sometimes because it sort of changes quite often. But at my core, um, I'm all about food um, and the natural ways of getting hold of that. Um, I've been teaching oyster classes for, I think, since 2007. And um, it's because they're like one of the most kind of nutrition-packed, and kind of exciting foodstuffs in my mind on the planet. They're just like ready to go. It's like nature's fast food, but a lot better for you. So I kind of got enamored mm -hmm. with them from when I was about 12 years old and on a family holiday in France. And um, my dad had six of them from a market and he proceeded to try and open them with a hinged penknife, which did not turn out well for dad. <laughs> I mean, eventually not for the oysters either, but it, imagine like 12-year-old girl sitting there watching her dad trying to open these oysters with a penknife and sort of there was blood. <laughs> so they kind of caught my, they caught my imagination and that was it really. Any opportunity I was involved with oysters. Um, and I've been teaching and hosting oyster classes ever since. That was like the core of my business. Because mm -hmm. you, you started the, um, the oyster, the London Oyster Week as well, didn't you? 
Well, I started it and I finished it all in 2018. I've only done one. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, well, basically, uh, it was going to be biannual, but obviously 2020 was a bit of a curveball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but London Oyster Week worked out really well. We, um, well, I say we, I did it pretty much solo. Got 25 venues on board in London and um, it was all about just getting more people to eat them because they're such a sustainable food stuff, you know, and, and again, really interesting. We do barbecued oysters, oyster mixology, and obviously things like shucking competitions to get people intrigued. Um, they're great with things like tequila. If you squeeze a bit of lime and tiny bit of tequila in one, it's gorgeous. So oh, there's cool. a huge amount of variety. Yeah, I mean, all, all, all us three guys, we're, I mean, I'd say we're all pretty handy in the kitchen, so I think we're looking forward to picking your brains when it comes to uh, some recipes and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure we're going to get into that in a bit. But, um, yeah, I just want to give people a bit more of a background around, like, the, the classes and stuff that you do. So you, you do, like, is it seafood hosting events as well? Yeah. Again, like I said, it sort of varies depending on what people want. But um, I regularly hold uh, masterclasses in oysters, crab, and lobster and i do shucking at weddings with my oysters do Mm -hmm. catering small events launches yeah oyster parties (laughs) (laughs) anything where there's seafood i'm there um and and you do a bit of journalism as well is that right i do yeah i do um i write about um kind of like anything again to do with nature travel adventure sustainability and food and of course, fishing is a huge part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and is that, is that my main focuses? Is that how you go into spearfishing? Then was it like as, as part of a sustainability or? Yeah. Um, so basically, I have fished most of my life. My dad was a fisherman out of Newlyn, and I only ever line fished. And um, I went to. I've always worked in sustainability as well with like food charities and all sorts of stuff. And um, again, that's why oysters really caught my attention. But Mm -hmm. um, in 2013, I went to the Caribbean to live and um, got uh, basically when I was fishing here with lines, I was just getting like small mackerel and pollock and things like that. Mm Apart from once we caught a poor beagle out of Newquay. That was quite cool. But we had to release that, obviously, Um, because they are apparently they're related. Speaking of sharks, they're related to the great white and they look like a miniature one. It's like a bonsai great white. (laughs) Yeah. and yeah, so I was in the Caribbean and I got into tournaments and fishing tournaments and stuff. So um, really got into it. But I'd never spearfished because I didn't think I could equalise. So I kind of had to have my fun with the fishing um, above water. Um, but I, I was having a conversation about it with someone who's on the freedive course here in Newquay. It's just around the corner from my house. Mm-hmm. And they kind of really raised up the sustainability aspect of it. And it hadn't ever quite occurred to me for some reason, I suppose, because I just put it to one side because I thought I couldn't do it. And yeah. it was just like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, target one species, target a species, target one fish, no bycatch. And mm-hmm. that really made me more interested. And um, that's how I ended up writing an article about it for Coast Magazine and went on a little course with uh, Spearfishing UK to do that. Well, wow. so that was my first ever foray. Brilliant. And so, Katie, so, so going back to the oyster lady, um, where with the sustainability in mind, where do you source? Um, obviously, as it's as it's you and your own business, yourself employed. Where do you source all of your 
produce. Well, with with the oysters, we're really lucky because in Cornwall, we've got one of the best oyster farms in the country. I might be a little bit biased, but um, uh, it's on the Camel Estuary. So you've got this beautiful, big, wide, sandy estuary, which means the oysters are very clean. Um, You know, it's not like a silty estuary. It's really sort of pristine water. Um, And they grow really well there. The guys have been farming there at Porthilly for decades now, and they've won blind taste tests. So I can literally drive up there and just grab my own supply and um, use them for whatever I'm doing. And that's where I actually do some of my classes um, on the beach at the oyster farm. Set up a little table and a barbecue, teach people to shuck, and we do tastings and barbecue some oysters and have a lovely time. That sounds awesome. Nice. Tell us a little bit more about the oysters themselves, Katie. As I understand, there's three different species in the UK. There's the native, Pacific, and a Japanese one. So there is that's a little bit of a, a kind of um yeah, it's there's two species basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the native oyster that you're talking about is from, you know, like is famous from the phalestry, you know, the ones, the little round, brown, flat ones, Austria yep. edgyless. And those have been farmed in this county for like hundreds of years. Not sorry, not farmed, sorry, fished. Um, And they're still fished in exactly the same way as they were hundreds of years ago because it's been protected by legislation. So they're only allowed to fish them by manual or um, sail power. And um, I have to confess to you that that is, I, I went and worked with them one day and I've worked on a lobster boat and I've worked on a line fishing boat in the Caribbean, like hand line catching fish commercially. That that was the hardest work I've ever done. I can imagine. How how do they farm them? I mean, obviously you can manually pull them off rocks, but what, what does well, how do you do it with sail power? So the the natives don't grow on rocks. They're the ones that more are more sort of the um, in the mud. Yeah, okay. Estuary. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the you know the south coast of Cornwall's got the more sort of muddy estuaries. They tend to sort of sit at the bottom there, and they use little dredges. So they will uh. go out on the sailboats. They'll drop a dredge, hand dredge, it's not very big, yeah. and drop that dredge, let the boat drift, and then obviously drag it along from the distance that they've drifted, shake it out onto a little wooden board, throw away all the detritus, which there's a huge amount of. Yeah. Sometimes you won't even get one oyster, so it's quite... quite it's quite a sustainable well. approach. I mean, people think of dredging as a really negative thing. I know, yeah. No, it's it's very low impact, and they have a special little metal circle that is given to them by a license as a license holder. And yeah. if the oyster fits through, it goes straight back in the sea, so cool. they're protected in that way as well. It's really it's awesome. amazing. I, I caught one out on a little trip out to Cornwall. What was that, Rich? About three weeks ago. I've got got one here. Well, you've got one yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought I'd bring a bring a prop for the first time, the first prop on the hangout. So. Um, just to describe it to the listeners, it's kind of like a semicircle and it's got almost like a jiggity jaggedy serrated kind of um, edge around the outside. I, I believe this is Pacific oyster. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's the one you would have thought of as Japanese. That's where they came from originally. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. How would you recommend eating this oyster? Um, maybe it's the well, same for all oysters. Yeah. To me, if you're gonna, I mean, I'm going to get geeky about it now. Yeah. Um, but if you ever, <laughs> if you're ever trying to oyster from a new appellation, because again, it's very similar to wine, the culture around it. Ah. If you get an oyster from a certain area, it takes on the characteristics of that area in terms of nutrition um, and the kind of character of the water. And you know, you have terroir with wine from the earth. 
we have meroir from the ocean for the oysters and where they grow. So my, my recommendation is to always try your first oyster from a new appellation naked, as we say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that means nothing on it, absolutely nothing, raw. Sip it. We obviously have to shut it properly and make sure it's detached. Yeah. And then you sip the liquor first and that gets your palate going. They would rush them too much. You know, these things take two to three years to get to marketable size. So you've got to take your time. Yeah. Um, so you have a sip of the liquor, get your palate going. And then, you know, it also reduces the volume if it's quite a sizable oyster, which is handy. Uh, and then you tip it in and just give it a little chew. And you really notice this amazing flavor profile then. So th- this might be offensive, but I boiled uh, mine. <laughs> 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 like a mussel. <laughs> oh, in, that turn out? well, so I, I caught an edible crab the same day, and I thought what might be nice is if it had a bit of that crab flavor, you know, get you know the water from yeah. the crab, and it it was absolutely delicious. It was yeah. one of the nicest bits of seafood I've ever had. I felt bad, just, yeah, yeah. I, I felt bad just boiling because I know you're not. That's not the normal way to eat oysters. But it was absolutely delicious, and it just made me want mm. to try more. This is probably the first one That's I've beautiful. had since a trip to France with the France. with the school. You know, when we were in year eight, sipping th- it raw. I think I think that was uh, down. That was due to me, though, wasn't it? Because you asked me what you should do with it, and yeah, um, I, I did tell you to cook it. Because as far as I know, uh, in yeah. the UK during the summer months, you shouldn't really eat uh, wild oysters raw. Is that right, or? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you can risk it if you feel kind of quite stoic, but <laughs> um, when you have farmed oysters, to be legal to sell, they have to be decorated for forty eight hours um, right. to clean them. And they so, just sit in seawater, do they, for that to work? Well, it's really cool what they do because you know I mentioned the meroir. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. With a with a good quality oyster, you don't want to uh, strip it of its natural flavour. So what they do is they pump the seawater into tanks through ultraviolet light treatment. And so oh. it then goes through and the oyster will feed on that 48 hours and be moved along different tanks, different stages of the 48 hours. And it's purified and it retains its original meroir. Fascinating. So, what should I have done if I don't have a UV light and lots of tanks to shift my one oyster through? Well, <laughs> it's either risk it or cook yeah. it. <laughs> Uh, so if I was going to cook it, uh, uh, boiling's frowned upon. What, what is a nice yeah. way to cook it? Barbecue? Uh, in my opinion, just like baking it in its shell. It comes like ready ready prepared in its own little saucepan and its yeah. own baking dish. So they're incredible. And what's lovely is um, if you pop a bit of butter on, a bit of garlic and a bit of rosemary, that's one of my favourite So shuck it first, butter, yeah. garlic, rosemary, under yeah. the grill. Either on the barbecue, in the oven. And you know, like in your oven, you've got like the the uh, shells. Yeah. Sit perfectly, like cupped in the gaps between the little in the uh-huh. tray. You know, because you want to maintain the liquor. You want to keep it level. <laughs> on that point, important. on that point, would you do the same as you would for say cockles or mussels? In that you'd leave it in a bucket for say four or five hours to sort of purge, or are oysters different. No. I think for some reason that's more to do with getting the grit and the sand out, isn't it? They're smaller. Yeah. Um, I think no, the oysters you couldn't do that. That would you'd end if you left it long enough, you'd end up with some pearls <laughs> because um, you know they don't they don't really have those irritants in them, um, and if they do, they start making a pearl out of it. 
So, Katie, to, to all this talking about oysters, I've been uh, mm. sat here with a lot of saliva in my mouth and not necessarily for a good thing. Um, <laughs> I, I had a bad experience with them probably about nine, eight, nine years ago. Um, yeah. Went to, it was, I can't even remember what it was. It was some do for my grandfather. But anyway, he loves oysters. He loves Chianti. Um, so I went to Tesco's, bought two dozen oysters and a bottle of Chianti. Of which I only had one glass because the preceding <laughs> statement is going to, uh, yeah, it will make sense in a sec. But um, so I had nine oysters while sort of having a, a sip on a glass of Chianti. You know, I was enjoying them as much as I personally believe you can enjoy oysters. <laughs> it's a very acquired taste. Um, can be very diplomatic. <laughs> Yeah, trying. Um, and so anyway, so I'd had those nine oysters and this was in the time when I was, I was living in uh, just outside of London, but in Reading. And so straight after we'd had the nine oysters, I'd said goodbye to my grandfather, driven, started driving all the way home, got to Bristol an hour or so later, just got past Bristol and it was like dicky tummy, starting to get the thicker saliva at the back of my mouth and the outside oh. lane doing 70 inverted commas definitely not and <laughs> immediately was like shit i need to like no that's it i managed to doing 70 grab a plastic bag from the passenger side footwell immediately started projectile vomiting as pulling over to this hard shoulder and then was vomiting for 10 15 minutes and then felt perfectly fine after mm. it's I take it that is I that's because I, I've I love lobster I love crab I probably just had out of those nine a bad oyster from Tesco's. Yeah, I could imagine that's possible. I mean, the kind of um, journey it's taken to get to Tesco's is going to be very different from me picking one up from Tim's lovely farm. Do you see what mm. I mean? Not to sort of insult Tesco people. <laughs> um, have you and you haven't tried one since? No, as I say, even talking about them now, if I see somebody yeah. shock them and I see an oyster, I immediately, my, my my throat sort of closes up and it's like, no, run away, run away. Yeah. See, I, I, I mean, yeah, it happens. It does happen. But I mean, it happens with other food stuff as well. It's just oysters have, you know, got that reputation solidly as being, and it's like kind of repeated time and time again in films and all sorts, isn't it? Like Mr. Bean does it. Um and mm. I've, I've also been sick with oysters and it was during a live oyster demo on the South Bank, which was a oh, little no. bit. <laughs> and I remember like, you know, I had also had quite a lot of vodka the night before. So let's not blame <laughs> the oysters. But I remember that I was holding on to my hands, sort of digging my nails in, finishing the presentation because it was about oysters as well. Oh, no. And then I remember just like everyone came up to talk to me at the end. And I, my sister was there at the time and I just grabbed her and said, speak to them, ran off. And I obviously did similar to what you did. Um, and I was so terrified that I would be, you know, because they say once you've been sick with oysters, you can't go back. Mm. Yeah. Um, sort of create an allergy. I was so so scared that that was a possibility that I ran straight to the oyster stand and ate six more. <laughs> like in my mind, I, was... <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but it was like hair of the dog that bit you, or some weird idea of homeopathy. You know, some something. I was just determined not to have, like let that happen. So <laughs> uh, I think we're gonna have to change your name from the oyster lady to the lady with the iron stomach. That's, uh... <laughs> 
but sort of leading on from that, how as as the oyster lady, how do you other than buying obviously from you know a good source, um, mm. when you shuck them, is other than I'd say smell maybe, but is there anything you can do to say or see that you you might be pushing that risk factor a little bit too much when you when you shuck an oyster? Um, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> the short no. answer to that is um, because anything that's really going to hurt you is completely invisible to the naked eye. Mm. Um, you know, the stuff like, you know, sometimes there's norovirus outbreaks um, and you won't see that. The oyster will look and smell and even taste perfectly fine. Um, so your best bet if you want to completely avoid that is obviously to buy them um, from someone who's purified them from a farm. Mm. But, but that would, would cooking remove sort of that risk factor? Can, yes, of, yes. That will remove it. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I always recommend because it is really good fun to forage your own. Um, yeah. And especially now there's so many of the rock oysters down on the south coast here. You can, we, I've done it myself, been out on sea kayak with a hammer and chisel. And, you know, you're like hacking them off the rocks and it's really satisfying. Yeah. Um, mm. And I did eat some of those raw, but I did take my lime and tequila um which you know the story about why there's always a lime in a corona bottle is it corona um but you know the beer bottle is always like the mm-hmm. soul whatever they have the slice of lime in and that's because they were all kept in crates outside the pubs and it was a way of kind of cleaning the um room of the bottle killing like, the bacteria yeah so i used the same logic <laughs> tequila and lime <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about trying to get back because I, I love all seafood, and I'm just trying to get back into oysters. And obviously, we'll 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 meet in person hopefully sometime soon. And yeah. The one thing I don't want to do is not try some of your oysters. Vomit so. on me. <laughs> yeah, and vomit on you. <laughs> I tell you what, there are sort of stealth oyster dishes because I can imagine psychologically there's probably a bit of a barrier there. So yeah. um, there's ways of hiding them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just going back to. To Richard's point earlier, the month beginning with R, is that fairly accurate as a good rule of thumb? Avoid them <laughs> eating them raw in a month that doesn't have an R in. Is that right? <laughs> uh, to be honest, that's not really to do with um, how safe they are and when they're, you know, whether or not they're going to be giving you an upset stomach. It's okay. more to do with their breeding. Yeah, it's their breeding season. Yeah, um, which is sense. why even yeah even now the natives you don't get them in summer because that's their breeding season so they need to have that fishery protected yep. and they're only um, they're only for sale in the sort of and that's another reason why I feel a bit sorry for those fishermen because not only is it the hardest physical work mm-hmm. but their season starts like September October through the winter yeah. um, mm. but no um, yeah and you can eat rock oysters all year round because they're farmed like all year round and they're fine. Um, I have a feeling it was also probably to do with the fact that oysters were once the foodstuff of the poor and they were shipped into London by the million in in barrels and just dished out as a really vital source of protein. And there wasn't any refrigeration. So they, you know, it was like, um, yeah, it was probably, I I sort of got a bit, you know, I went off digress there, but I think that was why, you know, the, the, the reason why people knocked them back in one as well is because they were just so prolific. Um, mm. But yeah, native oysters only in the winter. Are we saying that they taste very similar, the Pacific and the rock oyster, or or the Pacific are the rock oysters? Yeah, this always gets people confused. The Pacifics and the rocks are the same thing. 
Bearcastle yeah. Street Dry Gas, to be geeky about it. Cool. <laughs> um, they're the ones that came over from Japanese waters originally, and they're the most prolific farmed oyster. The really classic teardrop shape, yeah. grayish oyster. Um, the native, which is actually indigenous to our country and was once prized by the Romans and Phoenicians who would sail over to pilfer them, um, wow. is brown, round, and flat. It's uh, the Austria edulis, and they taste completely different. Do they? Okay. Just under up greatly in that, in my mind, the rock oyster is a rock oyster because it's normally attached to rocks. And then the native oyster is the big flat round one that I put similar to a scallop, but an oyster scallop. Yeah, I know what you're saying. (laughs) I see the theory. Yeah, I understand that one. Although saying that one, the that oyster that where did you get that one from, Ben? This was St. Austell Bay. Was it really? Yeah. On a rock. Yeah, was it? Which side was on the rock? Uh, so yeah, I don't know if you can see on the right. on the camera here, but it was attached yeah. to a little oh, bit of shale there. Yeah. yeah, and you can you can usually tell a, a wild one. I mean, obviously you know it was wild because you. you yeah. <laughs> but um, the ones that are farmed are shaped um, during the farming process. They're kind of shaped to be this sort of ideal cup shape, you know. Oh wow! A nice teardrop shape. Yeah. How do you shape an oyster? So they because they have them in bags on the rack and posh system. That's a traditional French one. So it's a metal frame in bags right. with different gauge size, different size gauge holes in that. And the farmers will go out and shake them to get the loose kind of thin growth growth off of them. And it's sort of the amount of oysters per bag determines how they will grow, all sorts of little tricks. They don't grow together, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I've watched some of the videos on YouTube with the oyster farmers out in the US and how mm. their their oyster farms they can only get to sometimes on spring tides and they've only got like two hours to get out there, get the oysters out the bags and then get them back in before their tractor's submerged in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many different like like environments for them at the moment like these days, because you know, people are pushing the boundaries of where they can do aquaculture because it is so sustainable. And we've developed well, not we, but People are now using um, the floating cages so you can have them further out in the ocean and they're constantly in the sea. Whereas naturally, as you can see from the one that you find on the rocks, they spend a lot of the time out of the water. So the tide goes out and leaves them exposed in like really hot sunshine sometimes, which is one of my other points I make when people sort of get freaked out about how, you know, they think that they're going to sort of die off really easily and be damaged by warmth. But Mm. they're hardy. A lot hardier than people think. I've kept oysters in the fridge for 17 days before and I met them. Like, obviously, we're just going back a little bit quickly because uh, I think it might be quite valuable. Um, mm. I, I, I The whole, like, picking them during the summer months, I thought that was to do with algae blooms as well because, obviously, like things like mussels and oysters and stuff, obviously, they they filter the water, don't they? So when you get an algae mm. bloom, is, is it correct that that potentially can be quite a hazard to health when you eat something that's been in an algae bloom? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, that's very specific, um, like a specific incident, isn't it? So um, it yeah. doesn't mean the whole summer is out of bounds, but obviously, yeah, yeah, of if course, you, yeah. you use your discernment, if there is an algal bloom, it would be the same for most most shellfish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And um, and are you are you a purist, or what, what's your favourite way of eating them, if you're going to make them for yourself? Well, I used to be really purist about it, but... When you have access to them all the time, you get really inventive. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the one with the garlic and rosemary and butter. Yeah. <laughs> butter yeah. makes everything better. 
Um, that's a re- just a lovely way of doing it because I call it the roast dinner in a half shell because the oyster is very rich and salty. And for me, I was trying to imagine what kind of flavor profiles that reminded me of. And it was lamb. So that's why I put the garlic and rosemary with it. Nice. Um, but the tequila one, that's, it's like, yeah, as soon as I start saying which ones I like, I end up with this really long list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the most, you know, when you ask me if I'm a purist, if, if we're going yeah. to swing all the way to the opposite side of that spectrum, it would be mm. the aphrodisia, which was one of my inventions. Um, when you need to just like, you've got ingredients around you, and you're like, I'll give that one a go. Um, and it's dark chocolate, sugar, butter and rum right. uh, baked on the barbecue. Mm. It melts. And it's like, people have freaked out a little bit by that one. It's a An oyster, oyster creme brulee. Uh, similar yeah it's um if you imagine like salted caramel chocolates i think it sounds yeah. delicious actually i'll that, <laughs> try gonna it have to be my introduction in back into us <laughs> might not be the place to start though <laughs> well it might it might be because it might cover up some of the taste that he might be yeah. no it, it wasn't the taste i think it was i, I just think it was too much at once of probably a a, a, a not decent product um mm. and again not 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 poo-pooing anything you can get from any of the major superstores but uh yeah it just happened to be that that day i just didn't agree and then like you say it's once you've got that mindset it's getting well, past that yeah funny you should mention that about the supermarkets because i did find it quite strange if you look closely at the label the price tag on the wet counter at supermarkets uh for oysters it tells you do not eat raw <laughs> i think that's yeah. how worried they are about their sort of supply chain just a couple of bucks the yeah. fact that it's got rum in it i'm uh, i'm all for it <laughs> hey, there's, a, there's a little glimmer of hope there for getting back on your oyster wagon. <laughs> what, what, what about all the shells then? What do you do with all the shells that you, you get left over? This is a bit of a point for kind of improvement, I would say. Um, not because of anything I do or don't do, but because there's legislation involved and it's illegal for us to put the oyster shells back in the sea after using them, after you've mm-hmm. eat, you know, after eating an oyster. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Um, why is that? Yeah, because they say it's in through the human food chain. <laughs> Basically, what? Like, you know, yeah, honestly. I didn't realise you needed to eat the shell as well as the oyster. <laughs> yeah, that would give you an upset stomach. <laughs> That's crazy. What if you eat it on the beach and leave it on the beach? That's I mean, littering? Like, sure. It's very bizarre. Isn't it? But it's just a legislation thing. It's like human food waste. So Is that the same for all shellfish? Like lobsters, crabs. Yeah, I imagine so. The reason I was asking was because I thought perhaps, I have seen it done before where people crush the shells and then use it in yeah. gardening. Um, yeah. So I thought I thought maybe that might be something that you would do, or I, I don't know, I don't know what, we haven't really got to that. What, what do you do with them? Do you? Well, I give them to people. <laughs> I encourage yeah. my guests to take them away. And I'm like, you can use this for, you know, salt and pepper pinch pots or holding your rings or chicken feed or, you know, if you crush them up. And I use them in the bottom of my um, uh, plant pots because it helps with drainage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have so many, like, you know, I can't use them all. Um, Mm. So, And the reason why it is a shame is because oysters, oyster shells, if they're back in the ocean, provide a habitat for the baby oysters to grow on, the oyster spat to settle and grow on. And obviously it would build reefs as well. So it's just a bit of a 
silly situation, but there are charities out there that are collecting shells and you have to either leave them for a year or something ridiculous in the sun to kind of naturally deproteinize. That's not a real word. <laughs> um, or they have to be cleaned in a certain way and then then they're allowed to go into the into the sea again. Wow. wow. Never knew that. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> so uh moving on to Anthony's favorite part, lobsters. Lobsters. Oh yeah. Anthony's <laughs> known to uh eat every single bit of a lobster. Um yeah. more so than the usual person. Um but No, I, I just got, eat the best bits. I've got a funny feeling that you and Anthony are very alike in that respect. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean the first time I ever at a lobster was a long time ago. It's actually in Whitstable, I think. And my boyfriend at the time was very fussy and he just ate the tail. And I was like sitting at the table for an hour longer than him with the same amount of food served up because I was going through every single tiny little bit, you know, yeah. just yeah. sat opposite me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm eating lobster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I understand that. And yeah, I did actually hear you talking about it the other day when I was listening. Um, I'll, uh, I'll hand over to you, Anthony. Oh. Yeah. Where do I start apart from saying tamale? I mean, yeah. oh, it's, it, <laughs> for, for me, I mean, lobster tail has got that that really nice sweet flavour. So it's it's mm. on, on par with crab. It's a different flavour to crab. But it's got that subtle sweetness. And then you get mm. into the tamale, the same as with crab meat, head meat or the yeah. brown meat, um, as a lot of people would know. It's just, it's like intensified flavor and yeah. anybody like whenever i see going to family's houses when i was growing up um and you'd see people they just throw the head away and not even like get into the knuckles of the joints or anything but one yeah. of the best things i saw was how gordon ramsay um a while ago on a competition one of those cooking competitions complete got rid of or got out absolutely every single piece of meat from this shell and i was just a drooling it's just the best yeah. thing yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that brown meat, because as we've mentioned, I do the lobster and crab masterclasses, and a lot of people just don't realise what's there. And um, I don't know if you know this, but you know, have you ever had foie gras? Yes. Yeah. One of my favourite so, things. Right. I can imagine it is from what you've said about because <laughs> what I always say to people because even I think the French have actually banned foie gras, which is crazy because it's where it came from. Yeah. But, I did like it, but then I realised what I was doing. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things that sort of got under my radar, and then I was like, oh, hang on. Yeah. Um, what I think, actually, I always say to my guests, is that that brown meat in the lobster is so smooth and buttery. It tastes, it's like an ethical sort of option of foie, foie gras. It tastes like that to me. It's, well, while we're on the, uh, while we're on, on the subject of the, of the brown meat, a lot mm. of newbies always ask us questions, so I'm going to ask you because you're, you're the expert here. What is a brown meat? Because a lot of people think it's like excrement and everything else. But <laughs> honestly, that that's like ninety nine percent of the, uh, what people I know. Think it is. I've seen it myself. Like people kind of freak out, and um, yeah, it's it's basically they're they're like innards. There's there's different elements because we've obviously got the row, which is the bit that's like beautiful bottle green. If you look closely at it and give it a little sort of squeeze, it looks black. But when you cook it, it goes bright red. You know the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, is that yeah. what you'd call like the line that runs along the top of the tail? I I always no. thought that was like the intestines. No, there's that one little thing that we call in the class. I've not thought of a better name for it. I call it the pouve, which is what. It is. Yeah, that's you chuck that bit, right? 
or not? When it's raw, but personally, I've forgotten about it when it's cooked. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you eat it with prawns, I guess. You know, unless yeah, exactly. it's big ones. Yeah. The whole thing. Um, but yeah, so you're talking like their liver and things up there, um, mm-hmm. all their innards. So when, when newbies look at like the brown meat, it is perfectly edible. It's 100% safe and it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, 100%. It's one of the best parts. It's a, it's a treat, isn't it? Which bit? I mean, the, the other thing that you've got to remember is that you, you look at somewhere like Japan, and as a Western mm. culture, we look at a lot of what Japan eats or what other indigenous tribes eat, and yeah, you're sort of like, oh my God, how do they eat it? They've got, they must have the stomach for it. They've been doing it for thousands of years, and they are yeah. use, it is the most sustainable way of eating an, an entire animal because well, yeah. you're not throwing away all that protein, that goodness, and for me, that flavour. Yeah, flavour and all the different nutrients as well. It's some of the most nutrient-dense mm. parts of it. And there is some kind of symbiosis in, in eating that you need all of those parts that are good for you, you know, to balance them out nutritionally. Mm-hmm. But this is this is what makes me laugh as well, is, you know, we've talked about lobster, and I get that because it's gorgeous. Um, but you know what dead man's fingers are in a crab? The lungs or gills, aren't they? Oh, yeah, gills. But, yeah, so you know everyone says dead man's fingers, you know, even the name, it's like, oh, they're poisonous. <laughs> um they're not <laughs> and you can eat them they're papery they can be a bit papery but everyone thinks they're poisonous there's nothing poisonous in the crab um, i thought that was yeah. where a lot of the heavy metals collected in in the but maybe i just read some random daily mail page at some point and yeah. <laughs> got the wrong I mean, end of the stick collect, if it's going to collect it's going to collect anywhere isn't it like you know it's going to sit in the muscle it's going to sit in in every mm. part of, yeah. the, of the animal so it's not going to be particularly there. So it's more um, around so, the texture that people don't like rather than the flavour or any kind yeah, of issue. it's the texture. And, and also if you think it is part of their fil- filtration system, but, you know, as spheros and people who are in the ocean a lot, we're pretty much swallowing that stuff every day anyway. That's true. Um, <laughs> and what I was going to say is that um, I love, obviously, you've seen some of the stuff that I've experimented with, with the rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, those, um, I was like, God, everyone's talking about these being poisonous and horrible. I've got to find something to do with them. And so I have quite a lot from all my classes and I just pulled them all out and sort of pressed them in tea towel, kitchen towel, dry them out. And I dropped them in the deep fat fryer and they sort of literally uh. turned into crab popcorn. They sort of crisped up. Um, and then you just sort of obviously drain off the oil and then they're crispy and they're delicious. So there you go. Oh. There's a really good option. That was one of the things I was going to say that I do with them. Um, and another thing that people throw what, out that what, you shouldn't. Fry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sh- sh- shallow pan fry them. Yeah. Ah. And it, it kind of just adds a little bit more because I normally deep fry them in, in um, clarified butter. So it adds a little bit more of a, a good flavor to them. Yeah. Um, but another thing that is a kind of a segue or not segue, <laughs> but a side note in is people throw away fish scales. Don't. Yep. Do exactly the same, and it's like fish pork scratchings, um, and they're tiny little things. But you'll see a lot of these, um, like three-star Michelin restaurants, will do it. Yeah. They'll they'll use everything, and then yeah. they'll top their foods with these deep-fried fish scales. Mm. It's gorgeous. Yes, agreed. Because they've got a lot of that. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. Well, it's quite cartilaginous. That is a real word this time. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think actually that, you know, we talked about my, you know, cause I, we all know that RAS gets a bad rap. Yeah. Um, 
and everyone says, let's do ceviche, <laughs> which I'm <laughs> all for because I love ceviche. Like you wouldn't yeah. believe. Um, but the the point was raised because of what you said about the scales. Um, because you know it's also quite a hassle scaling fish. Um, the mm. soup recipe inherited and sort of a- adapted slightly from what I learned in Belize. Um, you can just put the whole lot in and and again the scales lend themselves to a soup because of that cartilage um do they break down pardon do they break down in the soup they do a bit yeah yeah so basically you you just literally chop the fish up put the whole thing in in chunks and just and i put it into coconut milk rather than water and you just slowly simmer that um the whole thing obviously you gut it but the rest of it just all goes in and that's how they do it in the caribbean the the garifuna culture the hudut uh, soup. So just to like make sure we're clear about this, whether it's a crab, a lobster, fish, shellfish, you eat mm. absolutely everything apart from the stuff that, like the shell that's obviously yeah. inedible. Absolutely yeah. everything. Yeah. We have this really what? fun moment in, in the class with the crab where we've taken that central section out, you know, yeah. where all the leg joints are. And I show them where the crab's heart is. <laughs> um, and it looks like a white Milky Way star. I don't yeah. know why I'm putting up my head there. But, yeah. <laughs> what about gutting the fish then? Do you not gut the I fish? Do you, do you gut yeah, your yeah, fish? For the, for the soup, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah but I, I, I think, do... I was just going to say, I, th- I think fish guts, are, they're, they're different to crustacean. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's mainly because... <laughs> Their their anatomy is very similar to us. Um, in the, I mean, you look at Japan. Japan will eat all of the, a lot of the fish guts as well. Mm. Like the fish liver is a yeah. massive thing in Japan. Mm. Yeah. Um, you'll, you'll even get some of the guys out there that will eat whatever the fish has in its stomach, whatever that fish has mm. eaten. They'll then cook that up into sort of a miso soup or a, a side dip mayonnaise and mm. they absolutely adore it so they've got to be something to it well i mean cod liver oil was a supplement that we all got dished out <laughs> as kids because it's so good for you and i've done similar when i've been out on a boat um or wherever spearfishing and you start gutting if a nice liver comes out i can't help i actually have a little taste raw right there and then <laughs> very brave <laughs> nice <laughs> <laughs> Anthony's very impressed. <laughs> I'm just my, my stomach at the moment's going fuck. <laughs> it's, what, is it hungry or is it freaked out? Both. Mainly because of the fact that it's it's had the ten, it's had the half an hour talking about oysters where it's been going, no, no, nothing's coming in. And now we're talking about lobsters. It's like a completely different saliva. <laughs> so roller coaster for your tummy. I, I promise the I promised the listeners on a couple of episodes ago, I think, I think it was anyway, that we, uh, we you were getting, well, you actually, not we, we're going to give them a RAS um, recipe for that soup. Are you willing to yeah. share it? Or? I mean, yeah, there's, there is a video of it. I did a video. I, I got the original video from Belize where we made a duck from scratch, which included like literally husking coconuts and cracking mm-hmm. them open and then grinding out the meat. And it was incredible. And then, the plantains we used, we we had to beat with a massive wooden bowl and a stick, like a like a person height stick. Mm. So I didn't do that here. 
Um, but my recipe was inspired by that. It's very simple. It was just literally, like I said, um, get a get a load of coconut milk, but the thick stuff, not like not like coconut water that you get for drinks for your electrolytes, but the tins of coconut milk. Um, and I just sort of saute up onions, garlic, um, and um, chop up the fish, chuck it in with a well, actually. So, you know, you get your sort of powdered garlic and all the sort of the spices. You can sort of dust them, completely coat them in those spices and then saute them along with the onions. And then you just chuck it all in the big saucepan full of coconut milk. Um, I always keep some onions aside because it's nice to put those in afterwards. Because what you do, once it's, I love it as well, because you, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think that rats are quite freaky looking because, you know, they literally have got like those teeth that bite talking of looking at stomach contents i caught one the other day and i was gutting it at sea and uh, felt like a sea otter i had like it corked in my knees and i was pulling its guts out and i was like wow nice. this thing's got like whole muscle shells in its stomach and yeah, yeah. it's like got a very strong like tough stomach lining yeah. um and it's because those teeth are pretty like intense like piranha mm-hmm. i call it cornish piranha uh, obviously you have Devonshire piranhas as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, they just, you know, they look like crazy little piranha fish. And when you put the whole lot in the saucepan, you know, they, they it looks quite exotic. So you just saute that and let it break down for a while. And as I said, the scales help to create sort of a thickness to the mixture. And then I just get various sieves and just squish it all through. And you end up with this beautiful, thick, rich uh, soup. <laughs> well, it's like a ras bisque, almost. Yeah, it pretty much is, but obviously with coconut base, so it's got that kind of Caribbean style to it. Um, the full recipes on on my Instagram, but yeah, there's you know, it's just adapted from that original Hadoop recipe, which is a lovely recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to plug it already, but what's what's your Instagram? How can people find that? Uh, it's the oyster lady. <laughs> Nice and simple. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I think for Ras, I think one of the, uh, the the most fun things about it before I cook it, because obviously it's a tasty fish. I love its lips; they're yeah. just so they're so cute. And well, yeah, it's me showing my <laughs> sadness now. I've been sat there for ten minutes playing with its lips. Of you. Yeah, putting lipstick on it. <laughs> oh, no, I sit there and end up making it talk. Like, what the fuck did you shoot me? I was, it's, a, it's a Friday afternoon and I was going to be going to the pub with my missus and I just Aww. put my lip puffer on and then you shot me in the face, you bastard. <laughs> well, I think it's Anthony. I think it's Anthony that's been drinking tonight, not me for a change. <laughs> <laughs> I can handle it though. Start Here talking about my long lost Ras lover and how her <laughs> lips were so beautiful. Oh. Anyway, let's move on scary. quickly. <laughs> 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 yeah, she's got a bit of an overbite, but uh, <laughs> a face that only a mother would love. Spearfishing then, uh, <clears throat> how did you get started and uh, what sort of made you start really? So I basically had known about it on the periphery for, for years. And um, I, as I mentioned before, I didn't think I could do it because of my <laughs> my eustachian yeah. tube dysfunction. Um, yeah. And ironically, my eardrum is perforated at the moment from Monday Monday night dive. Um, 
But that's why I was put off for some time. Um, and I met um, someone who was on the freediving course here and talked about the sustainability aspect. And something I like to do, which is a little bit naughty, is if I really want to try something, because I'm a journalist, I organised doing a, a feature on it. I did it with polo on my friend's polo school. Um, horse polo, not like you know, in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um, and so I write, I organise to write a feature about something that I really enjoy, or I think I'm going to enjoy, and I get to get to try it out. And I went with Spearfishing UK, and to be fair, it didn't really end up being a course that I went on because my instructor Leith cut his foot, and so the second day was a pure photo shoot. And uh. it was quite funny because I'd never done anything like it before. The first day, I freaked out about getting the wetsuit on and like, you know, almost had a panic attack mm-hmm. and like, get it off me. Um, <laughs> and was quite surprised that I was being handed a bottle of lube as well. Cause again, I didn't know anything about the sport. <laughs> um, and the second day was just pure photo shoot. And I was asked, it was, it was hilarious. I was asked, can you just dive down and hold on to something and stay there and I'll come down and I'll take some photos of you. And I'm like, I have to go down and hold on so you'd stay there. <laughs> you know, so, but I remember because I thought, God, what, who does he think I am? I'm not, you know, I've got no idea about this stuff. Um, but I did dive down and there was a tire actually at the bottom there and I held on. And I remember I didn't even think about it. I was just down there going, well, this is lovely, really relaxing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so before even having thought about shooting fish, I, I had that moment that a lot of people seem to have where I found that really peaceful place. Yeah. Um, and that was that was kind of what got me interested. And then I bought all the kit apart from a float and a gun. So I had, I mean, that basically isn't a lot, is it? It's the wetsuit and the snorkel mask and the fins. Yeah. Um, and I went out for my first proper dive. Um, I mean, everyone dives there, so I could say the name. <laughs> You'll guess from my story about it anyway, but... Um, uh, yeah, I went out to Port Alstock, Um and I didn't have a gun. And I was with my friend that I'd met via one of the spearfishing pages, but who turned out he lived on my street, so that was quite handy. And yeah. we headed out, and within two, literally, probably less than two minutes, I saw the most humongous lobster on the bottom of the ocean, right there on the sand. And oh, wow. I, I remember I was just like hovering above it, and I'm like, that's what I'm here for. I have to do something now. And so I just dove down and picked it up. And I had asked Mark to, he wore my GoPro for me. I had this old Hero 3. And I came up with this monster and its big claws like flopped open as it came above the water, like this kind of monster from the deep. And I, my face was a picture and so was Mark's actually, because he was in shock. And um, I'm like, did you get that? Did you get that? And he's like, no, cameras are on. <laughs> <laughs> Just that typical thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. Can you I'll imagine t- your first ever dive? Amazing. Yeah, that's epic. I, I took a couple of points away from that, really. So, obviously, you've got a perforated eardrum yeah. uh, and you've had ear problems in the past. So, obviously, doing the freediving course, did that, like, do, do you think you learned enough on the freediving course to be able to um, not? First eardrum. I mean, what? I haven't really done a. I haven't done a free diving course. I've only done that two days on the spearfishing course, which oh, was on the again spearfishing course. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but so, do, they, do they not teach you like some free diving elements in that course then or? Not a huge amount. And, and unfortunately, like I said, because it was a press thing, it yeah. wasn't like a, as formal as it could have been. And also Lace did hurt himself, so he couldn't do the second day. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it was basically like we need to get the shots. And I had no trouble there. And I have been on some training, free diving at the quarry on Bodmin with Free Dive UK. Mm-hmm. And um, I was doing fine there. I was doing really well. I went from six metres the first week to 16 on the second week. Oh, I, wow. And I was doing, mm-hmm. I was surprised. I was like, hang on, I thought I wasn't meant to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was really enjoying it. Um, and I had like two or three dives down to that depth. And for some reason, I, I, I guess I didn't know this, but cumulatively something wasn't quite right and it just sort of was like it blew and mm. I had tinnitus and and sinus infection and probably had a little bit to do with um why I why I hurt my eardrum the other day but it's yeah. not you know it's just my own I did push myself a little bit I do have eustachian tube dysfunction so I shouldn't have pushed myself <laughs> but you know what it's yeah. like when you're going down and you see the target that you want to get to it's like yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've actually burst my eardrum before um, when I first started free diving many, many years ago. And it, as you just said, like when, once you've done it once, apparently it's a um, it's just a tendency for it to happen again if you push yourself. Yeah. So if if anyone's had a burst eardrum, you, they need to be super careful not to push themselves in that regards. Um, yeah. the, other, the other point I was going to make as well, you're saying about sort of trying to find people when you found someone that lives on your street. But as as a lady that spearfishes, um, First of all, what, what do you refer yourself as? A Spira or Spiro or uh, what, why, why is the correct, correct terminology when it comes to that? I, I, don't even <laughs> I mean, we actually had discussion about this amongst females um, that, you know, we're all part of the women's spearfishing Facebook page. And there yeah. was a discussion about whether we should be Spiros or Spira. And I, I basically, I don't really mind either way. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. Spira, Spira, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm off Portuguese, and um, in the Portuguese language, it's it's all about the feminine and masculine. So I'm going to go with Spira, yeah. if if that's yeah. all right. Um, so 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 being a Spira, then <laughs> you, I mean, I haven't seen many other Spiras. So do you yeah. struggle to find dive buddies, or what I have dived mostly with men. Um, because there's a lot more of them out there diving. And I joined the Buddies Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just quite, you know, open to asking people. And, you know, it's mostly men there. So that's why that happened. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed that if a girl is diving and spearfishing, she usually is going with her boyfriend. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a shared thing that they do together. And yeah. that happened quite a lot with some of the girls here locally. Um the first girl I ever dived with had to come all the way from California. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. And that was over a year into my, um, like since my first experience. Um, really cool girl called um, Joy. Uh, she's Spiro Joy on, on Instagram. She's incredible. We had four absolutely mental days um, of diving and hooning around in my truck and <laughs> being mischievous. <laughs> nice. Short dives, boat dives. Nice. I mean, I asked the question because I don't know if you know a lady called Valentina Thomas. Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, I I listened to her podcast with Joe Rogan and and she was was talking about the fact that she found it difficult to find dive buddies because 
men weren't so keen to dive with with ladies for some reason. And I don't want to get into the whole, you know, negative aspect of it because that's not what yeah. we're about. But um, I, I should say, well, really. Two seconds. Let me interject. What negative <laughs> aspect about diving with a lady? There <laughs> <laughs> might be assumptions that we can't handle ourselves, but that mm. first day I went out um, at Port Alstock, I was in for, I think, four hours, maybe. Mm. And I, like I said, I didn't have a float, got that lobster. Mark, Mark had a float, so he was actually carrying them on his neck, but, you know, it was a float, so it was taking the weight. <laughs> um, and then we carried on out, and I was really lucky. I got a sea urchin, a spider crab, and a crayfish all on my wow. first dive without a gun. Wow. And we did head out. We tried to head out. I think, is it the manacles? Is that what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the current was against us. But So we'd been swimming at it for ages. And again, it was my first proper dive, and I was like, absolutely shattered and we had to turn back and i was like well you've got a float so i'm going to just get the shortest kind of route to land because i'm mm. absolutely knackered and i'm a little bit like i've got to get back i've got six kg of lead around my waist um and so i left him I'm like you go you know because he, he went obviously back to the beach mm. i ended up getting to the shore and it took quite quite a you know, a bit of determination. And I was like, hell, this is, this is interesting. Um, and when I got to the shore, it was a rocky beach with a really steep slope <laughs> covered in brambles. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I took my fins off and clambered up. And then when I got to the top, I was on the edge of this huge quarry. <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm like, oh God. And so I did actually this, was, this was one of your first dives? Yeah. So it was like a baptism of fire, but wow. it was And you went to the medicals? That's pretty Not brave. Quite. We, didn't, we didn't make it. We went. We had to turn back. You went to the tender, though. God. Um, and, and so then, yeah, so I twisted my ankle, and I'm in all this, like, brand-new camouflage wetsuit, and I had to walk all the way around the edge of this quarry, climb over a gate onto the road, and, like, <laughs> like <laughs> running down the road in this gear back to the car park, and I was so happy to get back. And that huge lobster, I know a lot of people say when a lobster's that old, you should let it go. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I've really earned that one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. I've never understood that because it's had its life, whereas the little ones, you know, it's like, kill the babies, let the old ones go. It's like, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah, I was just about to say that actually the, the bigger ones dominate the area and kill the uh, the smaller ones anyway. So in, in actual yeah supposedly so in actual fact you're better off eating the bigger ones and leaving the smaller ones really yeah Uh, (laughs) i think the main thing with them is that a lot of people don't know how to cook the bigger ones um yeah and they end up saying they don't taste as good or anything it's because they overcook them Mm -hmm. oh absolutely and that happens across the board with seafood in my opinion Mm. um i always say uh on the side of under that's one of my little catchphrases in my classes (laughs) uh on the side of under a huge crab that i just couldn't boil i mean uh, it would have taken ages boiling it anyway. So I had to stick it in the oven and make this tent boil to make it all work. And I just stuck a meat mm. thermometer in to get the temperature exactly right. I couldn't tell you what the right temperature is. You'd have to Google it. But having that accurate thermometer does make a real difference as well. Mm. Yeah, I've never really, it's, it, I'm one of those people, I am a little bit untraditional. Like I used to have a seafood bar and I'd cook lobster and everyone would say, how long do you cook, do you cook it? But I'm like, I've got no idea. 
I just look at it. I quite like doing it like that because it's about getting your instinct in, you know. It's mm. fun. Yeah. No, absolutely. So out of all of the, the shellfish, obviously being the oyster lady, what and a spira, um, mm. what's what's your favourite thing to catch or catch to eat? Mm. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm not as experienced as I'd like to be because I've had to stop start with sort of injuries and, and ears. <laughs> but my favourite thing, I love, I love getting sea urchins. I really do. And I know that's not like a popular thing. It's not dramatic to shoot or anything. Um, but there's something about them. I think it's because it harks back to a memory when I was living in Antigua and I was really skint and I used to actually go and eat them out of necessity <laughs> on one of the really posh tourist beaches, Pigeon Beach. And go down with this little plastic spoon and the eel grass and just you know nice. essential protein. But I I do love I do love sea urchins. Um and I haven't seen that many around lately. That's one thing um, I was going to ask was where would you find the bigger sea urchin? Because I one of one of my favorite things is uni and hmm. I I I've never seen a sea urchin bigger than a golf ball. Really? In this well, water, the one in that, these waters. Yeah, the one that I did get again, like I said that first day. Um was down down Port Alstock way, but I haven't seen many since. I was a bit spoiled on that first one because I'd never e- even eaten crawfish. <laughs> um, I was crayfish. getting confused, and <laughs> yeah, and that was incredible. That was incredible. Mm. Um, it's just one of those things that's very rare, isn't it? Um, yeah. But I I have got. I know you know you're asking what's my favourite. When I used to have my seafood bar, one of my favourite things to prepare was cuttlefish, and I can't mm. wait to shoot one of those. They're so good. Ben, have you, have you tried uni? No, and I was going to ask, is it the whole thing that you eat? Obviously not the spiky bit. You open it up. What mm. kind of bit do you eat? It's, it's called the gonad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've heard that, but I, I wouldn't know what I'm looking for. Do you know what I mean? There's not much else in there, to be no. fair. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, it's weird. It's like... It's just a hollow shell yeah, full yeah. of water, which is, you know, keeping it down on the um, yeah. seabed. And it's got this little beak and it just grazes like a little sea cow uh, on the eelgrass and stuff. And if you, what I do is I just get a, a spoon and I sort of like bash out a circle yeah. around its beak and pull, because I like to keep the shell as whole as possible because they're really nice to use for lights and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you just see the strips of yellow uh like usually five up the side inside mm. there is some kind of stringy stuff but yeah, it what it like, like, yeah a yellow tongue yeah <laughs> does it have like a, a flavor profile similar to anything else no i want to, i'm not i'm not going to say what it tastes like <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, just, it's quite it's quite creamy delicious. and salty though it is it's creamy and salty <laughs> but um I, i've i've had uni couple of times um i really enjoyed actually and i've seen quite a few in the, in the waters mm. here um yeah. more so down cornwall i've not really yeah. seen yeah. any in dorset maybe a couple in devon but more in cornwall um mm. but yeah they, they they are really really good that crayfish that you had as well that was a really good size crayfish I know. Um, but for the so, uk oh that's really impressive yeah. i felt like, like i should have actually sold both of those things because <laughs> it would have been really profitable <laughs> <laughs> And um, so you know what it's like. Your first, if you if you have a first dive like that, it's just like 
you know, um, we were too tired by the time we got back to do anything with them. But my housemate yeah. and my lodger and, and Mark came around the next day and we just had an absolute feast. Nice. Yeah. Shared it. That's what it's all about, though, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I, me and Ben were diving in, uh, we, we won't say the location, we, we were diving mm-hmm. somewhere in Devon and we, um, that's actually where we met you for the first time. Or we didn't oh, actually yeah. Fall- we didn't actually formally meet, oh, did yeah. we? But yeah. you, you, you came by us with your first Pollock. I did, um, yes. Very yeah. exciting. <laughs> well, um, I think it's just on that. I won't mention where it is either. I know it's a bit naughty. You mentioned Cornwall Place, but there we go. Um, <laughs> but um, the yeah, it was a beautiful day, and it was the equinox, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. And uh, me and Ben were on the hunt for bass. I think we, I had two bass and. I think Ben blanked that there, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I just I just recall seeing I don't know who 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 were you with? Were you with uh, Spirit Joy? Is it? No, no, she she'd gone by then um, back to California. No, it was Amy, who is those ocean eyes on her. We know people by their Instagram handles these days. <laughs> and Louise Louise Hunt, who set up the spearfishing women's group, oh, and okay. her partner Joe. So we all met up there right. and um, it was just, it was lovely because I hadn't been in for a while and uh, it was a perfect day, really beautiful. Mm. And I just was very relaxed and really enjoying myself. And I was sort of like a little bit further out than the rest of the group. And I know, you know, kind of the whole buddying up thing, but I just, sometimes I learn better with a little bit of space. And um, I just really enjoyed the process that day because I was doing it all very calmly and yeah. getting down into the kelp and relaxing and waiting. And that's when I got it. And I got a really lovely headshot as well. So it was, mm. you know, when you just do everything right and it works. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think for me, it was just the fact that I, I knew there were females that spearfished in the UK. Mm. Not, very, <laughs> not, not, not very many, but then no. I kind of saw it. Um, there were three happen- of us. Yeah, yeah. When when we saw it happening, like sort of outside the circles that we were familiar with, there was a bit of an eye open. And I said to Ben at the time, actually, I said, oh, you know, we need to get a spearer on the podcast. And at, at mm. this time, the podcast was just an idea, wasn't it? And we we're sort of banging heads together, really. But I did say to Ben, we need to get one of these ladies on the podcast. It was you who I spoke to. So I was like, I'm quite chatty. I was like, hey, how did you do? You know, that was yeah. you, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, yeah, I was I'm hiding and embarrassed with my lack of I'm, catch. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm the more uh, the chubbier one of the two, shall we say? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you've spent the day in wetsuits and goggles, it's quite hard sometimes to know who you've been talking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, t- you're tired as well, but yeah, I mean, I the whole like Spira and the community around Spiras and stuff like fascinates me, and I, I just mm. think. How, how, in your, you know, in your opinion, how does how do we grow that? How how do how does the community become bigger? And you know, how does men's perceptions change the idea of like budding up with with the ladies? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say because again, I am quite new to it comparatively, which is mm. one of the reasons you know stoked that you invited me on. I've, you know, it's really nice um, to be here, um, and I, like I said, I think there are lots of couples who who spearfish, so that's cool. But personally, I'd love it if more women got involved and, mm. you know, would be happy to steer with me. I, I'm quite confident and my dad was a lifeguard and, you know, I've spent most of my life around the ocean. So I have mm. that experience, which helps me feel comfortable in the ocean. And mm. I know that not, not everyone has, so it takes time. But, um, I mean, that's one of the things I'm ho- hoping to help with in the future 
um, I got asked to do a retreat at my friend's farm in uh, the Lizard. And yeah. it's got a beautiful place. It's stunning. It's really close to St. Kevin and it's um, got its own well and it's just beautiful. She does retreats there already. And she asked me to do one there. Um, and it's not just about spearfishing. It's, 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 for me, lately, lots of things have been going sort of digital, online, sort of detached from our origins. And I'm sort of trying to push it back the other way because I think it's vitally important to us as a mm-hmm. species socially and ethically and you know all of it culturally and it's fun as well (laughs) Mm, Um, and so we're going to be doing um what's entitled live like a mammal retreats and it's going to be every aspect of that you know like in terms of how we relate to each other how we fish how we hunt how we prepare food you know that thing around fires storytelling everything that sounds Um, awesome yeah but girls only Girls only, or are we involved? No, I'm not going to do that because we wouldn't be living like proper mammals if it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like to, you know, I had a chat with um, Matt from who set up the spearfishing, you know, Cornwall group. Yeah. And I was trying to think of ways of getting more women actively involved and maybe setting up some national women's club. But he was like, yeah, let's, you know, you don't want to separate. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, and I'm no, saying, you know, Let's maybe look at it as a funnel of bringing them in. I don't know. I'm not, mm. I'm, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that a lot of them probably are a little bit intimidated. And, you know, when you're getting into something with all that kind of kit, it's a huge investment as well if you're getting everything. Mm. And they might not know what to get. They might not know if they're capable of loading the gun. Um, you know, that I'm not like diminishing women in that sense because I'm like, of course, they're going to get Apart from when I went to Mexico and had one as big as me, and then I had to, you know, let the guide do it for me, which I was like, God damn. Um, <laughs> but so what I'm going to do is like have a little taster session during the retreat. Nothing really formal. I'm not a spearfishing instructor, none of that. But just let them come and join us or let anybody come and join us in just like, you know, like if you imagine like the nursery slopes of a ski skiing resort, Something like that, where they're going to have a go in the in the shallows, have a go at loading a gun, and see if it's for them and if they like it. Well, I think we've got us three as a uh, as a as a first trial, if you want. I'm sure us three would be more than more than happy to come along and yeah. yeah. That probably goes back a little bit 360. When we, if we're talking about food, the whole like live like a mammal. Is that why you eat every aspect of the animal as well? Yeah, and it's just like how I feel about being connected to nature like I've been working with food for years and you know I've had experiences where I I'm right here in my kitchen I've had a brace of pheasant hung up and I did a lovely photo of it and a friend of mine gave me a load of you know hassle saying it was cruel and I'm like I remember being in your house in Southampton and seeing all your value Tesco value chicken and bacon you know mm. and it's like mm. that disconnect yeah. um and I have had debates with people you know I've said you do there is vital nutrition that we get from meat and they're like I've had vegans say to me well you should you should get injections if if you know if you need that you can get injections and I'm like what (laughs) that doesn't make sense you know it's it's actually telling you that that is vital I actually feel that if you do hunt for your own food you 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 actually develop more of respect for it rather than you know I couldn't agree more I've got two young kids and one of the most exciting things for me is bringing home the shellfish or the fish or mm. 
whatever I've caught and showing them how to prepare that catch. Uh, it's just a lovely yeah. thing. The same thing, you know, my dad would, did with me and the same that probably his dad with, did with him. It's like passing it yeah. down to the generations. And it's that yeah. exactly like you say, that connection to nature is mm. so important to know where your food comes from. I just yeah. think in this day and age, more people need that. In their yeah. I think I'll I'll, uh, I'll put it in a more graphic way. Uh-oh. Get home yesterday. <laughs> oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So went out yesterday with uh, Sugar Daddy, and uh, went out with him for the day. Got down to North Cornwall at ten o'clock in the morning. Launched the boat, four meter swell. Felt seasick all day. Got home, managed to catch two bass yesterday in a mullet. Anyway, my two little girls are four and two. And I've got three boys as well, but yeah, just, yeah, I have a problem with keeping it in my pants. But um, <laughs> so try, try, saying about teaching the kids, I had the fish in my cool box um, and it was a good six pound bass um, and just teaching the girls where the fish come from and mm. what we do with them. Like Ben was saying, the, the, the processing them. The first thing I did was got Eve, my four-year-old, to get the fish out of the box and pass mm. me the fish and then yeah. feel the difference between scaled and not scaled. She was then yeah. like, can I touch its heart? Can I play with its gills and stuff like that? And they're so yeah. fascinated, but we're so yeah. removed from that as a, as a society now with yeah. the vacuum packed bullshit meats and stuff. So. Well, and they actually packaged it to look as little like an animal as possible. It's like my sister used to say, I, I don't want to eat it if it looks like the animal it came from. And I'm like, mm. I'm the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think so. When you were saying about pheasant, though, I think one of the one I I need to move on to that with the girls is that smell of aged pheasant skin. (laughs) That's a very specific (laughs) smell that even I sometimes go, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" (laughs) When I I shot my first one, I hung it for two weeks. Uh, I was so excited because I had my cheeks blooded and everything. It was an amazing experience. And my friend was a professional game kind of chef and i remember phoning him and saying i, I think it's all right it's been home for two weeks so i'm bloody okay that's a long time i was like yeah i really you know i really like the gaminess and he, and he said well you can check if it's okay by sniffing its bum mm. <laughs> and you know when you're there thinking hang on a minute <laughs> is he winding me up <laughs> like trying to get me to sniff this you know gamey yeah. pheasant's bottom nice. <laughs> but it, it's part of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're actually running a bit long time now, so I think we've got a few listening questions that um, uh-huh. we've, been, we've been given to ask you. Uh, I think we'll just take them in turns, lads, if that's all right. So I'll shoot with the first one. Um, the lowdown on foraging for oysters. I think we pretty much covered that, haven't we? I think, yeah. I think we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that one, shall we? Uh, dream catching the UK waters and how would you prep and cook it? So that would be the cuttlefish because I've always bought it from fishermen. Uh, mm-hmm. And I absolutely adore it. So um, I would deep fry the tentacles and then dress them with chili flakes and lime zest. Um, and the body would be um, cut into steaks, scored, seasoned with anduja and barbecued. Nice. Lovely. Last question. Um, should you stab a lobster in the head before boiling it? I vote not, but interested to hear your view for me, they don't die quick enough, but die very fast when boiled. I think it's due to their brain anatomy. Now, I think we have to say it's actually illegal now to boil them straight away. You have to. Oh, yeah, it is now illegal. Yeah. So I think you have yeah. you have to kill them and or put them in the 
freezer for 30 minutes, which okay. is basically the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the law yeah. states. Do you, Katie? So this one really bothers me, actually, because, mm. you know, you said about brain and that. We don't really have a brain in the traditional sense. And I think that the research has gone a bit awry. So they don't have like a sense, you know, they don't have the same, like in, in terms of us, they can react separately. I suppose it's a bit like when a octopus's leg can come off or a crab's leg can come off. It's separate, you know, and then it can regrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's areas of ganglia. Um, so if, it, you know, in my mind, if you are stabbing it, <laughs> good choice of word, stabbing in the head, um, <laughs> then it's then going to die twice, in my opinion, because if it's got separate ganglia, which are reacting, then when you drop it, you've stabbed it in the head, it's still moving and it will do for a very long time afterwards. Going back for years of, of killing literally thousands of lobster, mm-hmm. and I've made sashimi out of them in the past as well. Um, even if you detach that tail and have the rest of it, you've put the knife through the head and you've taken the tail off and you've made it sashimi and you've left the other bit in the fridge. If you go back half an hour, 45 minutes later, the heart will still be beating. Wow. So I am of the opinion that there's a little bit of Mm, you know, it, it needs further debate because I agree when you drop it in boiling water, 20 seconds and it's gone. Yeah. What um, well, about freezing I it do, first? Yeah. So I was about to say that. Yeah. Because obviously, no, no, it's fine. Um, I don't, it's not so much freezing it because obviously you want to maintain the quality of the meat. But um, if you just get it down into that comatose state, yeah. then it doesn't, it's, it's not aware, it's not it's so sensitive to the actual um, cooking. But the yeah, other thing think... that you can do is um, just get Richard round once he's had a drink and he'll just talk it to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I uh, usually do. I'm, I'm, letting, I'm, le- I'm letting you have that one, mate, because uh, I was quite drunk last week. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, maybe we can... Better. Maybe we can link up in the future when you've uh, got a bit more experience with spear fishing and we can... Yeah, yeah we didn't even get to talk about Mexico, did we? No. Um, no, unfortunately <laughs> not. But yeah, let, let let's let's link up in the future again if you're up for it. But yeah, we yeah, really appreciate it. you coming on. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, it's been great fun. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, yeah, Katie. It's been lovely it's to meet great. you. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely waiting for those invites in the post for the uh, mammal Live experience. Like mammal. That's it. Yeah, it'll be spring <laughs> next year. Fantastic. That sounds. And cool. just a, re- a quick reminder: where can people reach you on your socials? Um, Instagram is the best. It's just the oyster lady. The yeah and you've got some really awesome yeah. content on there so do Thank look you. up katie um when you get the chance yeah, we look <laughs> we look guys. forward to speaking to you again soon and get definitely going out for a dive with you yeah that'd be wonderful cheers awesome cheers cheers, cheers katie bye, bye. One, two, three, four. well that was a great episode really enjoyed having katie on yeah fantastic she's uh, got a lot of really useful info there and i'm gonna certainly gonna try some of her ideas myself um yeah, saturday you guys going absolutely so it's the yep. x club nationals i don't know what the right title is down at shalabra it's the one competition that i have done before as is often the case mm-hmm. i didn't catch anything last time some interesting ground there quite a mix of different grounds and some nice places that you can go you guys got a strategy already uh i did look today um nothing like living into last minute hey. uh, i did look today but it looks like quite big swims like wherever you go from the yeah. bay I, I might be wrong because i've actually not really dived it so um yeah it looks like really big swims so i think uh yeah it's gonna be an interesting one for sure i haven't really got a strategy i think 
probably just flop around and hope something pokes its head up. And that's Good me. Stuff. You, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've dove it before, so uh, I kind of, I, I, I've, unlike last time, I've already made a plan in my head, and I'm going to stick to it this time and not let anybody else change my mind. So, but um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's some of the parts of it are considerably deeper um, than yeah. the need for comp. Um, so we'll have to see where the experienced boys go. But uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, I can actually add some numbers for the team. Good stuff. Yeah, looking forward to that. We um, obviously this will go out when people have already done the competition. Should we do some predictions? Who's going to win this round? Well, out of us three. Yeah, what do you reckon? Oh, uh, I'm saying Ben. Put your money win. on me for I'm the win. Ben. Really? Yeah, I'm saying you for the win, mate. Yeah, it's the quiet ones you got to watch out for. I, th- I reckon saying- Anthony might have this one in the bag. He obviously didn't do so well the last time round, but he does know this ground quite well. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm going to put my vote of Ben as well. Um, <laughs> just because it would be rude if I voted for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of why I went for Ben. <laughs> no pressure then. <laughs> my big takeaway from the last one, just like really quickly, is that it surprised me how we were like going out where everyone else was and there was like hardly any fish because it just got scared away mm-hmm. and then you went into shallows and they were there so um yeah it's not it's not always about like steaming out with the more experienced guys and all that like i think there's a lot to be said for doing your own things so yeah i agree yeah. find some space i think that's a, a really really good tip last time i went i was i'd never shot a fish by that point but where I was, I did see a few fish and a lot of people were saying that they didn't see any fish at all. So mm. uh, I was kind of by myself most of the time, staying in the shallows as, as a newbie. But there's definitely mm. something in that. So I think that might be one of my uh, strategies on uh, Saturday. But let's not take it too right. seriously, eh? I'm just hoping the, <laughs> hoping the uh, wind's going to hold out because this is obviously for Chalabra. This is already its delayed date. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure in the rules and regulations you can't set a third date for a comp in the BSA so right. hopefully it goes ahead and it stays a, a little bit calmer for Saturday and the Viz is there Shallowbrook one, is one of the things that it can do is it can milk up mm-hmm. with the wrong wind um, so yeah fingers crossed but good luck fingers to both crossed. of you yeah good luck and to what, you what, what we, yeah and you guys what we got, who have we got next week then do we know so we're not quite sure yet, are we? Uh, but we, we're talking to a couple of people at the moment just to see who we can get booked in. We know it's going to be a good episode, whoever we do get on. Um, so yeah, definitely listening to the next one. It is going to be a good one. Just can't tell you who it's going to be. Yet. <laughs> These episodes are getting better and better. Though um, the 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 feedback we've had from everyone's been like amazing, man, and so so much support from the community. It's unreal. So. Uh, yeah, if um, if anyone wants to share us a message on uh, Instagram or Facebook, yeah, we love reading it, so get them mm. over. That is one of the things I did want to say was thank you so much for the feedback. Um, you know, we we really enjoy doing this. We yeah. each week afterwards, we we spend a good hour after the episode talking about everything that we spoke about during that episode and then the editing and stuff. But we love to hear the feedback from you and that's that's the reason that we're doing it is is this is three blokes bumbling around trying to figure out what the fuck spearfishing's all about thank you so much for support for everybody and boys do you know how many countries we got listening to us as well that's no um, tell us that's the other thing i was going to say it's uh, actually incredible obviously england jersey guernsey united states australia ireland netherlands i mean it's literally all over the world all the way in cyprus mauritius wow um 
Oh, so, I'd dive in Mauritius. If anyone's listening <laughs> in Mauritius, I've, I've been to Mauritius twice in my life, and I am more than happy to pay you that very expensive plane ticket to come out if you can take me diving. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's incredible that we've had people like literally all around the world listening to us, um, especially just us three idiots talking shit, as you say. So, yeah, really, really humbling, man. Loving it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Um, we'll see you next week. Catch you next week. See you later. Bye.